science cannot answer the question of consciousness. I, I'm not sure that you're talking about a thing. Is my red the same as your red? So when we close our eyes and we pray, is he supposed to like show up? When I type on the keyboard, am I hurting the computer? Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David, what are we talking about today? I have a topic this week. Don't you? So I was watching an interview from Cosmic Skeptic, uh, who has recently started his own podcast um, that uh, I've, I've only seen a couple of episodes of, and it's been pretty interesting. His podcast is called Within Reason. It's a good name for a podcast. It is a good name for a, for a philosophy podcast. Um, so <clears throat> in this episode, he had on his guest, Philip Goff, uh, to talk about his book about panpsychism. Um, now I don't know, I don't know yet if this episode is going to be about panpsychism because truthfully, I have not finished watching the interview yet. So I don't know entirely what Philip had to say about panpsychism, but I saw enough to raise some interesting questions that, uh, I strongly suspect Joe will disagree about because Secretly, this is our favorite pet topic to disagree about for hours and never find a resolution. It, it's arguably the longest debate we've ever had because it's been ongoing. That, and it has not resolved. Yeah, it's been ongoing for th four, three or four years. Since, yes. The first time we talked about consciousness was after one of the first episodes of the show uh, that we ever recorded. Uh, yep. So yeah, it, it's been a long time. So anyway, the, you, you can read up about panpsychism. Uh, we, I, I guess I'll, I'll, since I've said the word, I will go ahead and, and read a quick definition of it. Um, this is just from the, from the Wikipedia article in the philosophy of mind. Panpsychism is the view that the mind or a mind like aspect is a fundamental and ubiquitous feature of reality. Um, so, and 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 the thing that Philip was kind of uh, going for is the idea that consciousness is not something that just emerges from non-conscious things as science tends to to view it currently but rather like even the most fundamental things in nature have at least some very primitive form of consciousness of, of subjective experience. It may be incomprehensibly simple compared to ours, but he, he claims that there is something. So I think the, 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 the meat of it, because Again, I don't. I don't know that he, uh, if he goes on to say something more more profound about that. So, so go go watch the Within Reason episode uh, about that if you want to. If you want to hear what Philip has to say about that, I don't want to just uh, copy his his thing. So the the real the real question that we need to get to is that the the reason why he has adopted this view and why he has written a book about it um, and is now speaking publicly about it is because he thinks that science cannot answer the question of consciousness hmm. because it's not trying to. And 
so so his book i think the title of his book was like galileo's error or something like that or the galilean error something something like that um because it was galileo who basically set the standard to make science which was at that time called natural philosophy strictly analytical and rigorous based on empirical evidence and described in mathematics in very specific terms. And that has served us very well for understanding the behaviors of everything in the universe. Well, just about everything. Um, and being able to make predictions about the future, which is, which has up to this point been the primary goal of science. And, and we've been very good at that and have reaped, Amazing technology from that method. But his core claim, which I do think is true, is that science is not in the business of figuring out what things are, but rather how they behave. And so maybe uh, an example of this would be like, okay, you know, what is an apple, right? And we could say, okay, well, an apple is made up of these parts, which are cells and cells are made up of even smaller parts within and those cells are and those parts within are made of molecules and those molecules are made of atoms which are made of certain subatomic particles protons neutrons and electrons but and and but but when you ask the question what is an electron the only thing physics can tell you is well an electron is something that acts like this it has these properties well, the same is true of an apple, though. And, and, and before we go too into this, mm -hmm. I want to separate. In in this case, would you view like taxonomy as a philosophy or as a science? Because that's when you when we talk about what things are, what we name that thing relies on us being able to identify the thing, right? Taxonomy is closer to philosophy than science because we are just choosing arbitrary categories for things arbitrary yes we're deciding that these things are different in this way that we decide is meaningful so we're going to give them different names okay hmm there is something truly different about the things in the categories but where we draw the line is arbitrary yeah and i think for me what's going to make this a difficult discussion just letting you know early on mm -hmm. Because when it comes to describing like what a thing is, like if you ask me like what is an apple, what something is, is almost entirely determined by what its purpose or what its capabilities are. Mm -hmm. And its capabilities are something that are described and analytical. You, we can measure those things, right? Because there are things, and, and I think this is why it's difficult for us to look at things like electrons and subatomic particles in general, or even atomic particles. We don't interact with reality on that scale. And I think if you look at, as we've moved down and up the ladder of scale as humans, you know, we started out in the medium world, the world between two worlds, because there's a massive universe of large things out there and a massive dense universe of small things and mm -hmm. we kind of operate in this middle area where we're mm -hmm. too small to appreciate the scale of planets even really and beyond but we're too big to appreciate microscopic things yes. mostly 
Um, so if you look at like the scientific literature about germs before we understood germ theory and that these little microscopic things existed, we described them more like spiritual things, mm -hmm. you know, because that was the thing that we, you could argue. And I think that and I'm looking at this, this article on panpsychism as well. Some people attribute this and we'll go into this more later. I don't want to spoil the broth, but they some historical takes on panpsychism was ascribing things in a spiritual way as well, right? Like you can classify this. You can't even call it a phenomena really because that's a scientific term to categorize an event which had an effect and that's what you're trying to measure, right? But this, you know, thing as a spirit. And so, but as we've moved through that scale, as we've been able to see the scale of things larger than us, see the scale of things smaller than us, and then begin to analyze what they do and how they affect us, then they start to, like, we kind of begin to ascribe things to them in that way. And so what they are is born out of how they affect us. Mm -hmm. And so when you ask that question, like, what is an apple? And if you ask most people what it is, most people will probably tell you it's a fruit first. Right. Because yeah. that's the a fruit of an apple tree. Yes. Yeah. Because, and why does that even matter? We eat fruit. It relates to us. Right. And we can get specific about fruits, but if you point at a rock and say, what is that? They're going to say rock. They're, they're not going to tell you it's granite maybe, or. Yeah. They, may, they probably don't even know what specific type of rock it is. They're certainly not going to tell you it's structure. Sure, because yeah. it doesn't matter to most people. Right, and it's I, a rock. It's a hard a, thing. But a geologist might answer that question differently. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that way, I think that... And this is where my, I think, initial skepticism of this comes from is this is woo-woo for things beyond the things we've been able to adequately describe and see their impact. And consciousness, I think, is particularly pernicious because it's hiding in plain sight. It's... Yeah, it's so, right so, there. So, you know? so, yeah, to to be to be upfront, I also think that panpsychism is woo woo. Okay, um, I'm I'm not on board with panpsychism as a like it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's like any other spiritual idea, mm -hmm. um, where it's like, okay, yes, this could explain something, but you've given no evidence for why I should believe that it's this way. Sure, um, but. And and to, and to credit you with that as well, I, I will also fully say that, yes, I do agree that it is not science's job to say what something is. It is to just, it, we do approach things analytical. That is not something right. that science cares that much about. I think the, yeah, so the, 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 the interesting thing that the, the, yeah, the thing about consciousness that, that is so frustrating is that it is, despite how close we seem to be to solving all the mysteries of physics. Like we're it's, it, we appear to be very close. Like people like to go on about, Oh, well, you know, you know, 90% or whatever of the universe is dark matter and dark energy. And it's like, okay, but that's two categories of things that we haven't figured out of all the categories of things. Sure. Now, sure. There's probably subcategories within those that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And yes, that makes up a large proportion of the stuff in the universe but basically everything that matters to us we've figured out yeah um and yet 
none of the models include anything that give a hint of where consciousness comes from. But, and, and so like, if, if we were some outside observer looking at this universe and we used all of our same methods to try to figure out the secrets, we would not find consciousness. We could just as well assume that these things walking around, uh, are the, 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 the lights are just as off as they are in a rock, right? We assume that a rock does not think or have experience. Um, well, I, I don't even think a panpsychist thinks that a rock would actually think, but they think it has some experience. Um, it depends. I, I, I've thumbed through the, well, I thumbed proverbially on a tablet through the article, and it depends. There are a bunch of schools of thought on that. And some ascribe it only to the, like, the most, the most fundamental, fundamental particles. That's, that's how Philip is, yes. Yeah. Um, so... Anyway, but but yes, it's it's this thing that's hiding in plain sight. It's like nothing that science is yielding is even we're we're not even approaching it, right? Like people can say, look how much better an understanding of the brain we have, but we've gotten nowhere in terms of understanding consciousness. But we know it exists because well, we are, right? It's our it's the only experience we have is a conscious experience. Um, well, yes, but we also just named it that, like. It is what it is, and that's, like, the problem, is that consciousness is just what we're describing the, I guess, behavior is the wrong word, but the experience of what it is to be us individually, mm -hmm. and, and maybe not even all of us, as we not to reopen our qualia debate as one who may and may not have it. So maybe whatever you mean by consciousness, you yeah. So this animus, is this is the frustrating you know. and kind of disturbing thing, the pl place where we always end up when we talk about consciousness, which is, are you conscious, Joe? Um, I don't know, and <laughs> it's, um, you know, yes. Uh, so okay, because because I was going to ask that question too about your neutral observer. Uh huh. Does it have consciousness? we we assume it does because that's the only way we know how to think about things and would it not be also or say that there is a whole world of these a third party observers well, okay. you know but but maybe yeah we, we could go there and say okay well then it's obvious to them that consciousness exists but let's think about okay what if we take a step down and think about like a computer simulation like on in our world a computer simulation mm -hmm. um you know i could look at a simulated universe and do all of the same scientific inquiry and not find any inklings of consciousness. But that, but there could in, you know, in theory be conscious beings in the simulated universe. We, and, and we can't answer that question because we still don't know what the heck consciousness is. Right. Um, so I, you know, I could look at that and be like, okay, I have understood all of the, the or rather within the constraints of the universe because obviously if, if it's a computer simulation that's running on my computer then i can just look at the code and see if it has something that you know i can i can actually read the rules but if i were to do things scientifically inside that simulation then the argument goes i would not find consciousness and would conclude that there is nothing conscious in the universe but i actually don't know that and any conscious beings that do exist if they did in that simulated universe would think it's obvious consciousness exists because they are, but outside observers wouldn't know. Perhaps. I wonder if the analogy of light is one that's interesting to consider in this because yes. light is a phenomena that we've, it started with its purpose because it, we see light and color. 
Yes. Know? But these things are, in the grand scheme, meaningless descriptions of specific wavelengths of light. Mm -hmm. Also, for some people, we don't all see color the same way. No, some people don't see color at all. Exactly. Some people don't see it all. Yeah. So, but we can describe, but we were able to describe and assign names to these colors. And then eventually, in the tiniest fraction of human all of humanity finally were able to go, okay, now I have a way to explain to someone who can't see what light is and a way they can understand it. But that will, because, and this, I guess is my next part. Even though I can explain to a blind person what green is like scientifically, I can say, well, green is generally the visual intake of these wavelengths of these wavelengths. Right, of I light. can give you a spectrum, right? This yep. spectrum is green. Yeah. yeah. So when it hits your eyes, if your eyes are working properly, TM properly. Mm. Um, this is what it would look like to you. It would manifest a signal in your brain that would associate it with that. With that, in the same way that when you hear a certain and importantly, pitch, if you see something else that is red, you'd be able to tell them apart, even if they had the exact same shape and luminosity. Right, yeah. and you can almost compare it to frequency and sound. Like yes, yeah, and then there's the analogy of of sound frequency. Yeah, and so let's think about this. But to everything else, like I think we discussed this last week after the episode there is no color on the quantum level because it th these things are smaller than wavelengths of light sometimes like or, right. or some of these colors like it doesn't all atoms are well yes yeah, so, so like when i see the light that i call red bouncing off of a red soda can right apt yes um not sponsored um i wish though i'd let them sponsor <laughs> i don't care uh, off of a red soda can, um, that light is being reflected by the atoms that make up the material, not the subatomic particles per se, right? Not the protons and neutrons in the nucleus. The light never even makes it there. It's not even one. It's not even just each atom is emitting the red or reflecting the red too no. either. It's the structure of them together. Yes. It's the dips and valleys of that, you know, structure that ultimately reflects well it could be absorption and re-emission also that too that's a common way that that happens um fair enough yeah but anyway but if i had one atom but of like, whatever but is red but yeah know. like okay we a a photon is absorbed by an electron the electron goes into an excited state and then emits a red photon okay the electron is not red when it does that. No. It just emits a thing that when it hits my eye, I can tell apart from other colors. And yep. so I'm like, ah, that thing is red. But it isn't. It's just sending a red thing to me. Um, so on the topic of colors, um, the, the, yes. The colors must go deeper. <laughs> colors are, are a very... Light and colors, as you have already kind of mentioned, are a very common place that that people go when they talk about consciousness and subjective experience. Okay. Um, and so one of the place, one of the things that, that Philip and, uh, and Alex bring up in the, uh, in the show is the difference between the wavelengths we call green and the experience of greenness. I hate this already. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? So, so one of the, uh, one, this is an interesting thing that I think a lot of people think about, but I would be interested to know if you have ever thought about this. This this might answer some some questions that I don't want to know. Um, so 
a, a common question that people ask when they when they first start thinking about consciousness. And, and, and I asked myself this question as a child, and people always just kind of gave me non-answers for it because I later found out there is no answer we can't know. Um, is it'll be phrased like, is my red the same as your red? Okay. The answer is obviously yes, in the sense that we both look at the same thing and agree that it's red. But the but I have no way of knowing if your subjective experience of seeing the color red is the same as mine. Uh, I don't actually know that that's true, to be honest. Okay. So it depends on, I guess, what you mean. And maybe this is me bringing this so back the, to the, the wrong place. Again, the way, that, the way that children think about it is, okay, I look at something red and I just associate that experience and call it red. But if we switched brains and saw things uh the way that each other sees it but well and then still somehow retained our memories of what we had experienced before which you can't which is impossible but if we pretend that we can do that we pretend all day um (laughs) then would i still agree that that thing is red or would i say "Mm, no that looks how i remember green looking that kind of thing i don't think this is a good analogy okay so people's psychological responses are a part of their experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are certain colors that are used in certain applications to affect our psychology. So to me, when you say the experience of green, okay, that can be more than just, I, my eyes are lighting up. The, the I, do, I do actually green. mean my eyes are lighting up. Yeah. Cause I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking like hot and cool colors or like this color makes no, me feel calm. Green, green makes me hungry. Like, it or, makes, yeah, sure, yeah. Or and that's a like, measurable thing that all red, humans red respond is scary to. because blood or whatever. Um, right, or maybe. Um, whatever. Yeah, depends on the context, really, which is a different thing. Um, so yeah, is it though? <laughs> Experience. Okay, yeah. Is just... So to, so to make this as plain as possible, the thing that I'm trying to describe. Okay. Imagine you're in a room with white walls that perfectly reflect whatever color is emitted by some multicolor led we'll say fine um and and the the entire walls reflect this color perfectly and so all you see is that color when whatever color the led is okay we're going to imagine a perfect room like that fine right okay so i'm in the room the led turns on i say that is red okay now we do the imaginary brain swap thing well hold on does it have to be a whole brain swap or can we not just swap eyes I don't know because I don't know what actually causes that. I think it's brains. I think the br- we're we're talking about the subjective experience, which is the brain's interpretation of the signal that it's getting. Um, okay, that's the actual subjective experience. Is not the signal the eye is sending, but what the brain thinks of that signal. Okay. Um, so okay, we do the imaginary mind, and actually, we're not even talking about brains. We're talking about mind swaps because we're talking about consciousness, which is the subjective experience. Yes. So we do the imaginary mind swap. The LED does not actually change the frequency that it's emitting. But now I look at that and I say, mm, no, that's blue. That's what I think blue is. See, I don't think it would be... I know you're maybe using red and blue as a drastic thing to try to point out the difference. I don't think that would happen because... Hear me out. It Well, it's, it's just a hypothetical. It's like... Sure. But do, do, I, do we see... Do we have the same experience? of the, Do we agree what redness looks like? 
but what is red like and, then, yes. and this brings it back to the thing so this is why i think that the red and blue is not a good but i can probably help provide you a better analogy for this so when you say we swap minds so from my perspective the mind is defined the mind is the void of the shape of the in the shape of the brain it's the things between the brain if you want to think of it that way your mind is trapped within your brain and it will expand to fill all the folds of your brain, not literally, but like just as an analogy to say that what it is. So, so hear me out. So you and I are both looking at the same wavelengths of color. Mm-hmm. Now that experience, the subjective experience that you and I will both have, we're both responding to the same wavelength of light. Our brains are not that different in the way that we are both built from the same template. We're the mm-hmm. same species, the template for what a brain is, the areas of the brain that each serve certain functions, like the parts of our brain that are connected to our eyes that process visual data are, they started at least out pretty similar, or very, very similar structurally. So we will probably both see red the same way we each see red. But that experience, the context, and this is why I think context is important. Mm-hmm. The rest of the differences in the shapes of our brains, there are genetic differences in the shapes of our brains because that's a thing that can cause different shapes of our brains. But also every bit of the environment that we were growing up in since the time we were conceived was a little different. And I don't know. I'm sure it's measurable if you just had the time to actually go and like, if you could blow the brain up to where a square nanometer and you find the exact X, Y location of the brain, or you find a reference point, like find the center of your brainstem, find the center of my brainstem and use that as a reference point to go look at that square nanometer. Right. If you look at it further zoomed out, we will have folds in similar places Mm -hmm. in our brain, but the closer you get the arrangement of those neurons and the connections that they have, you will start seeing differences. Yeah. They're different. And to me, If I, for example, was hit by a fire truck when I was five, which is a pretty traumatic event, but I'm using it for to point out the differences. My brain is going to associate all things with that traumatic event differently, probably, Mm -hmm. if I remember it, than you would. And so when you say we switch brains, I don't think you can switch brains without switching minds. No, I agree. I agree that that the the thought experiment is actually impossible. But 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 to your point though, I get what you're saying that if Say we could do that. Say we're third. Say we could both. Here's a better one. We're a third party observer. We're a third human. Say we're a third human. Okay. And we don't care that this third human is not going to see the red. That's okay. But what we're going to allow the third person to do is also take on their shared memory, like the delta between their brain shape and your brain shape. So it's going to shift. Mm-hmm. They're going to experience red that way. Then they're going to take the delta of their brain shape to my brain shape and see red again. So they're not going to get either experience that we got, but the experience they ex- they have is now different. And this is also high, say, I think it would be better if you took clone, clones and did this, like perfect clones that have never like occupied different spaces, you know, like say we hypothetically cloned mm-hmm. and then we measured the brain afterward, which would also make this a nearly impossible experiment to perform, if not actually impossible. Um, I think they would experience it differently and you can measure that experience experiential difference by the response they give to that. Like their neurological activity may have a Delta as well. And you can actually measure that. Now the meaningfulness of that 
to me is more dubious and it would be as saying and acknowledging the difference between you and I seeing red right now. Like we could both go in and start using words of a common language to describe our respective red experiences Mm -hmm. and 99% overlap because I think for all intents and purposes, what red is our experiences with red growing up and being affected by it are negligible, but I do think they would be different. But again, I'm think, still I living think, in I think brain it, space again. Yeah. You're well, you're also going to the, like the, the secondary associations with a color where I'm talking about the primary thing, identifying the color. It's the same thing though, to me. Because how do you identify that color? It's not just the signal. Because the sig- okay, because the like let's 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 follow the trail and see where it starts to differentiate. You and I both are experiencing whatever nanometer wavelength of red light is mm-hmm. in front of us, right? So it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. It hits our eyes. That's where the first delta can occur. Our eyes might be different, right? But let's assume they're the same. Let's assume they're the same, okay? Or I give we clone my eye, and we each we each one. trade to each other an eye. Sure. <laughs> um, so then they're the same, okay? So we're traveling down these. There's connecting neurons from the back of the eye to the brain. Are those the same? Good enough for now. Right, let's assume the optic nerve is also the same. Let's say the optic nerve is the same, and then it hits the brain. So the part of our brain that processes color right? And you could actually measure this in real time because information travels at the speed of light, right? It doesn't... Well, almost. Almost. So it's it's a wave. So at what point in this wave does it really start to cascade out and be different? So to me, it's like, okay, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. The occipital nerve gets it. Well, yeah, then we'll definitely see the difference from the other subject or like secondary things, like the mental associations you make with that color. Right. So let's work forward from that. But where do those mental associations come from? experience life experience but no in this exact moment where are they coming from that experience is stored right it's coming from elsewhere in the brain elsewhere in the brain which is a part of the shape and you like just the positioning of the neurons we're already past the thing though we're we're already past the thing that i'm talking about i'm not sure that you're talking about a thing to be honest (laughs) this is my problem is it's like okay then so we can identify that we both agree the brains are different shapes the occipital nerve is the same so i think we're in between is the gap you know Mm -hmm. and i'm looking for consciousness in a physical place and maybe that's the problem yes i think um but if it's not physical then it doesn't exist that's my that's where i stand mm -hmm. you know um and that's i think where our would you say that that's where our disagreement is (laughs) well maybe i mean it's it to me it remains a question whether consciousness is physical obviously it's sort of a kind of ethereal concept that we've come up with kind of but there's a reason why people latch on to it. And it's, you know, like fu- fundamentally it, the, the thing, the thing, the, the ultimate breakthrough, if science could ever figure it out that I'm contending it won't ever figure out is can we look at something and tell if it thinks or like if it, if it has subjective experience, can we look at a thing like, we we have sort of an advantage with humans in that, well, we have experience of being a human. So I know the kind of questions I can ask another human to figure out what it's experiencing right now. And it's going to give me a pretty good idea 
of what's going on. And like, we'll do this in like research of sleep cycles and things like that, you know, shake somebody. Okay. Were you still awake or were you actually asleep or were you dreaming about something when I did that? You know, and then we compare that with whatever data we're looking at in the scanner or whatever we can do that, but we can't do that with animals, right? They can't talk back to us and tell us what, what was going on. Mm-hmm. We can, we can look at similar patterns that their brains may have, but as we diverge, further and further away from humans, this becomes less possible. And I think this is where the computer analogy becomes important because I think a lot of thought about consciousness, the school of thought that you need to have a brain at least, you you need to have the capacity for memory. Maybe. I, I actually contest that. I can I can imagine a being that has subjective experience, but immediately forgets every moment. Okay. There are things it's that it's a do- state machine with feelings basically, but there are things that do this. Optical sensors do this like computerized optical sensors do this arguably mm-hmm. like the sensor itself has no memory. Right. But then again, you could also argue that the atom that reflects red light does this too. Mm-hmm. And I guess to me, and I don't think it's fair to because it, it. I think we're getting to the point where we're going to start defining an experience as a delta, a change, which is meaningless. Well, yes, you know, and it doesn't answer the question that I have, right? Well, it could though, because if you just because the thing and the thing the thing that 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 Philip said that I that I agree with, um that that is this whole thing is that science is not in the business of even answering that question. Um, it's the analytical language of science and mathematics is too rigid to even formulate the question because, because oh, in, in your great effort to try to rigorously define subjective experience, you end up making it meaningless. Because it is objectively meaningless. I mean, linguistically meaningless, where I can't tell it apart from something else. I don't necessarily agree. I Because, like, let's just say I do that. Say I begin to devolve and decompose consciousness to just change. Mm-hmm. And that... Because I think we would all agree that there is enough overlap there that I could use that as a simile, right? Or just or is okay. just change. Um, so the atom, the the electron moving through the different states to emit red light, as the as it goes through that change, it has that instantaneous experience that it has no memory or no capacity for memory of. So it's, but it does have that moment. Whereas me having that instantaneous moment of seeing the red light. With my memory, I can do more with it. Yes. Okay. So, but that's just it though, is I'm changing more and there are more changes that are cascading and affecting me with the ability for record. And so you could argue, I think that it doesn't, in the same way that all protons are protons, that seems meaningless but it's their configuration and the effect they have on their environment that allows us to then go to that next level to actually start ascribing those arrangements in a different way, you know, 
like all hydrogen atoms are atoms, but are well, all hydrogen atoms are effectively the same, but the effects they can have the, ex but the things that can be done to an atom of hydrogen are broader than the things that can maybe be done to a proton because anything you can do to a proton, you can do to a proton of hydrogen. And now it's a new thing. So it's a superset of a thing. Our consciousness is a superset of a superset of a superset go on and on and on from just an instantaneous change. And so I think the reason most people aren't satisfied with change is consciousness is because that's not what we're trying to describe because that kind of consciousness is meaningless to us. The thing that knows it's conscious because it has memory. You know what I mean? Yes. I. Mm. So it may be unsatisfactory to say change is consciousness because it's un because it's like, but then everything's conscious, including. I was about to say this is sounding a lot like panpsychism, but I don't know. Like, okay, <clears throat> I get the, the 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 ultimate thing that I was I was getting to before about diverging further and further away from humans, and we can no longer make comparisons. Is the ultimate question of consciousness is I should be able to answer the question: Does my computer have feelings? Because it thinks. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps, but I don't know. Well, I think this is where it comes Because to... we also have this human tendency that the more we understand something, the less we ascribe consciousness to it, kind of. I mean, maybe, but we've come to understand Because consciousness has kind of always been this mysterious thing. So the less mysterious something is, we assume it's not... <laughs> so this is just starting to sound like human exceptionalism where it's like we want to try to fight to keep consciousness human is what it sounds like as a tendency i think it's that it, it i think it's that it is difficult to it's difficult for people to accept that a non-human thing has these human-like qualities not out of a sense of human exceptionalism necessarily, but just like that thing is so unlike me. How can it at all be like me? Right. Well, and I think you can see the gradations of that too. Let's look at other great apes. Orangutans are conscious. Mm -hmm. they well, we assume so. We don't know. That's the thing. I you think can't we do. prove it. Okay. J that Okay. But to say you don't know, I could apply that same thing to you, the other yes, human across the table. I agree. So that's we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Okay. What keeps so okay, so then I would need do you give orangutans the benefit of the doubt? I do. Okay. My my do you give dogs? My, bi my bias, yes, my mammalian bias makes me think that mammals generally are conscious. What about alligators? Yeah, probably. What about flies? Yeah, probably. They act with intent. So so far okay. they appear to act with intent. Trees? No. I don't think the trees are conscious. But they act with intent. They do. Yeah. So is that... So but they're too slow. So. All right, so hold on. So now I act with intent is no longer <laughs> but, a good barometer. Hold they, on. No, no, no. Got to go back to exactly, orangutans. So exactly. now what's the other barometer? Like <laughs> They have muscles <laughs> that act with intent. <laughs> flies don't. What do you mean flies don't? They don't have muscles. How do they use wings? Their, their wings are powered by something. It, sure, but not we muscles. We can call it a muscle. Okay, so can I, try, can I call roots muscles? No. They act with intent. They grow with intent. Kinda. So do you. Mm. But I, but my growing is not conscious to me. I don't choose how to grow. 
Sure. But I choose how to move my muscles. You've never worked out before? That is more like responding to meta cognitive level stuff where it's like, okay, I'm intending to make my body grow in a certain way, but I'm not consciously controlling the growing. I'm consciously moving my muscles in a way that I cognitively know is going to make them grow. But, but if I had that kind of control, I wouldn't work out in the first place. I would just make my muscles grow. Sure. I can't do that. Uh, that's fair. I guess. I guess that's a more fair point. So intent then. Hmm. Interesting. Do orangutans do things with intent? It appears so. Do dogs do things with intent? It appears so. Do flies do things with intent? Yes. Really? What does a fly do with intent? It seeks out food and eats it. Does tree do trees not seek out nutrition and mm. try to get it? <laughs> <laughs> trees don't think about it though. How do you know? I don't. There you go. So, um, <laughs> but how do you know you're thinking about the tree? Thinking about it with intent. Could you help? Thinking about the tree once I put it in your... Once I you received that stimuli, could you even help it? What do you no. Mean? Like, you couldn't help oh, but oh, think about the tree once I said... The, yes, yeah. There is there is a degree... Yes. We've talked about this a long time ago in the episode on free will. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It certainly feels like I have control over everything, but do I really? Mm, Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And, and I think that's a reason why these two topics are so... They're linked in a lot of ways, yes. I think. Because... I th and I think that used to be a barometer for people. And I think, well, see, okay, the, the, this is where this is where the mystery rears its ugly head again. Is like, okay, yes, in the scientific analytical view, it would appear that we may not actually have as much control over our own actions as we think we do. In fact, we may have none at all. Um, you don't. And yet. It feels like I do, though. Which is important. Yes. Because you can't help but feel that you do. Right. And there's... A, well, and I can also imagine if I didn't feel like I had control, I could imagine being very afraid, right? Well, and people do have involuntary actions from time to time and are very afraid when that happens. Seizures are a terrifying experience. So I've heard. I've never experienced one. But seems scary. Sleep paralysis things like that that are that are scary when people lose control over their own bodies um yeah so cramps there there are there are times when when that happens so so i can imagine myself being in in that kind of a situation if i actually didn't feel like i had control but that's a subjective experience well, there's oh. the subjective experience of fear in that case but is the thing you're afraid i think it's but then again i even think that when you come to the sleep well, let's just focus on paralysis right okay. in general just regular paralysis well yeah cuz sleep paralysis falls under that umbrella but there's also like the temporary you slept on your arm wrong and now it won't work paralysis that's right. very temporary mm -hmm. uh, i think more relatable to a lot of people as a person yes i have experienced that kind of paralysis um what's terrifying to you actually cuz you're rationalizing it or you're, you're mind defying it i guess depends i don't know if it's rational or not um <laughs> as my arm's not doing what i told it to is that what's really upsetting you or is it that the arm is not functioning the arm's not doing what it should do or what it could do right like because now that's something that's also i think well i think scary. to me my my first impression is mm, i told my arm to do something and it didn't um or is it that hmm but did you tell it did you tell it to do it or I certainly feel like I did. Sure. Yeah. The same arguable thing that makes you feel like you told it was also the thing that probably actually told it to move. 
Because when do you find out your arm was moving? When you decide or once it starts moving and you just kind of make it up along the way? When did you actually make that decision? Yes, this is a fun question. Because that one we do have some science about. There, There is a lot to say that, that many of these things are decided subconsciously first and then the conscious mind kind of rationalizes it. Mm-hmm, because it has to. Yes. Because it needs to feel special. It does. So I don't know. I'm, I'm being rude now. <laughs> so, but it's the same thing where it's like... So, but they both got the message, right? Your arm muscles received the message around the same time. Well, maybe they didn't because they were sleeping because they had no oxygen. Well, no, they still received it, maybe. Not the point. It probably traveled down the nerves, but the muscles didn't acknowledge it. Well, the message, let's put it this way. The message was sent from both, from the same place, the subconscious to your arm and the conscious mind at the same time, Mm -hmm. roughly, we'll say. So your conscious mind gets the memo, arm's moving and it, now. And it, and it, well, yeah, it starts expecting the signal back from the arm of the feeling of the muscles contracting and moving. Not even that. Your conscious mind doesn't care about that. It just knows the, the arm's moving now. But then your eyes send messages to that same conscious mind saying, it's not moving. And then the, then the, the, sub, the subconscious mind doesn't care because it's like, I sent the message. Mm-hmm. It may be trying to figure it out. But your conscious mind, meanwhile, while it's on hold with the subconscious, is like, what is going on? And that's where the fear comes from. Because, and I think it's a similar fear to what you get when you see people, when it has nothing to do with internal stimuli, right? But it's, have you ever seen someone get gaslighted on purpose? Have you ever watched someone be gaslighted before? And like, it's the similar... Not in a way that sticks with me, no. It's a similar panic, I think, to watch the person just... It's like, like, like I've watched this, kids do it this... Kids gaslight the crap out of each other all the time. I've watched a kid slap another kid and say, and the other kid go, why did you slap me? And the kid says, I didn't. I didn't slap you. And yeah. this, it's the same thing to me. It's the same experience of this is incongruent. And then there's doubt. Because, and I think that's inevitable when you realize right, this that, other person is so insistent that he didn't. Maybe he really didn't. Maybe I'm crazy. Well, but, yeah. but, but why does that matter? Because who's judging the truthfulness of the statement? You, the conscious mind, or is the subconsciousness the one also doing that, judging the truthfulness? Like the mirror neurons, those aren't conscious. It's a sub- the mirror neurons are not, no. But that's that's like the source of whether or not we're figuring out, I, I would argue that that's where a lot of the gut feel as of whether they're lying or not is coming from. But your rational mind is hearing the words too, but your memory is telling you that they did, and there's just a, it's an incongruent set of information, and your conscious mind in order for it to have that single thread of consciousness. Because imagine if you had multi-consciousness where you could conceive of multiple conscious realities at once. Both statements could equally be true and it's fine. You don't panic about it. They both did and didn't slap you. It does, you know, and then you can, you can look at that from a third person perspective and Mm. figure out which one of those makes the most sense. But you don't do that because very rarely you, that's an exercise to do. Your default setting is, I have one thread, the narrative, and I guess you could use the blockchain analogy. Two blocks have been proposed for the next block in the chain, and they're incongruent. This cannot stand. Like, I have to have a congruent narrative going forward, and one of them is going to win. And that being pulled in multiple directions is the same terror when you're being gaslit as my arm's not working like it's supposed to. It's the same thing, I think. Kind of. I think it's the same thing. Different, different I, expressions. I feel like the the experience would be would be different. Like, because uh, to me, the the fear of my arm is paralyzed. Is oh no, my body's not working. Um, 
but you also probably have a pretty strong, like, where does your, and this is where I think it comes down to the individual subjective experience again, because some people's self-confidence in what goes on within and around them and their experience is very solid. Like it may actually not be solid, but their perception of it is ironclad. Like they, this is the truth, the whole truth, nothing mm -hmm. but the truth. So help me. But others are not like that. And I know people who are, are like this, that they can, you can tell them something and then immediately tell them the opposite. And they're doubting themselves, even though you're the one who's being incongruent. They check. Yes. That, I guess that's where I was trying to get is, you know, if my arm is paralyzed, then I'm, I'm worried about, oh no, my body's not working. I'm going to have to you know, do something about that. I may have to go to a doctor to get this fixed or, you know, whatever thought runs through my mind at, at the given. But do you ever consider before it's a dream? I figure out that it's temporary? No, I don't usually think that it's a dream. Um, I know some people that that's always a possibility. Um, whereas if somebody is gaslighting me now, I'm questioning my own sanity. Like, I, I guess fundamentally it's the same thing. Oh no, my body's not working right, but it's a, it's a different kind of thing. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to be able to pick things up until I get this fixed. It's my entire perception of reality may be lying to me right now, right? I might actually be crazy, mm. which is a different kind of fear to me. Well, I think it's where you're placing the blame, right? Like, where where's the problem? And I think some people resort to the problem being external first. Like, hmm, this is incongruent. Someone's lying. Like, paranoid, that's that's how we describe paranoia. Mm -hmm. People who ascribe incongruence externally. Um, there, I think they're, I don't know if it's psychosis or what, but I think there's a name for people who do this internally first, where it's like they their go-to problem is themselves and their perception of reality or their experience. There are others that dis are very dismissive and in denial, you know, I don't know. Like, I think you could almost begin to describe a lot of classifications of mental disorders when it comes to reality and their perception of it to this, this question of where do you place blame on incongruence, not knowing what the incongruence is, where would you go first? And that can, I think, be strongly linked to experience as well. You know, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but that's an interesting thing. I don't think we're going to come to an agreement on consciousness today, though. Probably not. No. Um, I would like to take a, a, a short a short tangent. Sure. Let's please do. Let's take a resort from this. Uh, in which I will now bully you about, Go <laughs> about consciousness. Go for since it. Since you've been uh, uh, playfully uh, aggressive uh, with me. Um, so I, I'm going to be... I'm going to do a bad thing and and do some psychoanalysis that's fine um do it to me so based on other conversations we've had previously about this yep. and the, the the type of disagreement we keep coming to i wonder if you have aphantasia are you familiar with that term yes i work with someone who has that okay and well the way he describes it is that uh, the example he it actually that's weird that came up this week in a little workplace. It is funny how that session. happens. <laughs> yeah, um, but we had like one of these little workplace get to know people meetings that are essentially guided counseling that I hated. But he he described it as he cannot picture people's faces um, when they're described like like when he thinks of a person, it's not the person. It, mm -hmm. Like there's no mental image of them. It's just like, and this is not him, but this is me who may have this, who's going to ascribe it as 
it's like it's like lines of text on a page as opposed to like photos and videos it's just like oh let me get the notebook out and scroll to the section right on the you person. remember properties of the person yeah 100 percent. that's me yeah yeah but I, I, okay another but, side like, tangent. The, 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 well the before we before we escape that sure the the conversation we've had before is like if i tell you to imagine a cat do you see a cat i kind of do okay but it's my cat okay that's fine that's okay but but it's not like like if i okay obviously it's not going to be as vivid as like a hallucination right well i know that but like let me put it to you this way the phrase close your eyes and think of has never made sense to me okay because it doesn't work i just see blackness in my eyelids or whatever R- coming through well my yeah so so for me it's it's a weird kind of dual experience i see the blackness of my eyes being shut but i can also see a mental image of whatever it is i'm trying to think of but i can also tell that they're not the same again it's not like a hallucination like when i when i say okay i can look at this empty spot on the table in front of us and imagine there being an apple there and imagine what that would look like and get a pretty good mental image of of what that experience would be like of seeing an apple there but I don't actually see an apple there per se because I, I know it's an empty spot. I'm not fooled into thinking there is one during I'm gonna, that. I'm going to ask you a question that might give away the answer to this. Okay. Is it like a holographic overlay? Yes. Okay. Then no, I don't see that. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of, well, yeah, that's probably the closest thing that I could say to describe it. Yes. I do have a it, parallel experience that I think might also help you make the difference. I do have this for smells tastes and music though like you, you can do that okay so like if i tell you to imagine a certain sound or like remember a song then you can kind of hear it but you also know that you're not hearing it yeah i can hear it enough to like sing along to it in time mm-hmm. and like i have experiences or where... like if i okay can i can Go you for... can you imagine a sound that you haven't heard before like or like if I no. if I well no, okay not not that specifically but like okay if I told you to like imagine what it would sound like if someone with a Italian New York accent said blank could you think of something like that oh yeah for sure okay then yeah but then again I also based on what this person described is that aphantasia is not all senses and it's also not there's a spectrum of it it's not yeah. a you either have it or you don't it's it's degrees and when it comes to like visual aphantasia i definitely don't have that like i cannot and this is another funny one i can't actually draw things from memory either like and and i'm also a bad at drawing i too am bad at drawing but but like just trying to think about the process like if you ask me to draw a person i'm going to think like two ears two eyes nose head big head you know like forehead you know like it's gonna go like that it's like a bulleted list of like what does a forehead look like and then i think about the features of the forehead and it keeps nesting it's just like that it's like an it's like a tagged up document of okay as soon as you hit a tag you know depth Mm -hmm. first it is what it feels like to use a computer term i'm going depth first on the article of the human head in my head (laughs) and following each thread down to find it but no i don't think of it and like my wife and I had this conversation. She was like, do you remember our wedding day? And I was like, honestly, yes. But like, I don't, it's not like there's a photo album in my head of that day. Right. You have to actually go look at the photo album to remember what it looked like. 
No, I well, to remember, yes. To have the experience of what it looked like, yes. I can tell you what time of year it was, what the flora was like, what the right, building was like. Right, you can remember details. Like. But if I tell you, like, imagine your wife in her wedding dress, you can't do that. That's closer, but I also have a photograph of that that I see every day. Right. That I've seen today. It's actually... Yes, I see it over there. Right there. Yeah, I know that. But yeah, you're right. Like, I don't... Like, you, I could look at that image, stare at it, and you say, memorize or maybe it. maybe the harder thing um, is imagining something that you haven't seen before. Oh, in the yeah. same way as the voice thing. We're like, okay, you can imagine what someone in a particular accent saying something might sound like. But if I say, like, imagine your wife in a costume that looks like a hamburger, which is probably something you've never seen before. Well, I have seen hamburger costumes before. Well, that's fair. Can you do it? <laughs> sort of. It's like it, it's like it's like flickering in and out, but it, at the same time, it's literally like okay, you know those goofy images on Amazon where it's like person and it's like the costume of a hamburger, but it almost <laughs> looks like a crappy Photoshop of the hamburger, yes. and the person is just sticking through it. Uh-huh. It's kind of like that, but it then as but it's a question of I'm not I'm not seeing it though. Right. I'm just remembering the properties of what I've seen before and right. applying it in this context. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's it's a hard thing to talk about too. So sure, but like, I'm sure you could probably hook me up to a machine, show me a picture of my wife, watch the neurons fire up, <laughs> and then like say, imagine your wife, and then there's gonna be certain neurons that don't fire when it comes to like what she actually like looks like in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's not something I'm afraid to admit. Like, I, I think it's entirely possible that I have some degree of that for sure. Interesting. Would make it, it would make having conversations about consciousness very difficult. I. I I yes. can see how that would make... Especially when most of the analogies I go for are visual. Sure. Maybe I should use different analogies in the future. Maybe, but it also brings into question my conscious experience being different. And am I... like? Well, your conscious experience clearly is different from mine because you can't do that. But is yeah. it different enough? Because like this is something we talked about before when you said that I didn't have qualia that has stuck with me ever since and frustrated me whenever I think about it, to be honest. Well, okay. But okay. A- after answering these questions, I have concluded you do have qualia because you can imagine the voices and that's that's a qualia. Okay. The, the experience or like the feeling. Can you imagine what it is like to touch carpet? Yeah. Yeah. So that's qualia. The, the feeling of a texture is also a qualia. Yeah, but but still, like it bothered me so long because I think sight is the go-to one, and it's yes. like that's the one that it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So no, I I hate the close your eyes and imagine. I'm like, man, come on, this is boring. <laughs> this is Why can't boring. I leave my eyes open. <laughs> it doesn't help. Like I can leave my eyes yeah, open. Well, and I, just I think as that good. is the thing. Yes. So for for those of us who can see mental images, it does often help to close uh, your eyes because then you're not the the faint mental image is not interfered with by the actual image of what you're looking at that's why this also explains why praying was always awkward for me when i was a christian (laughs) because i do distinctly you unlocked a core memory for me (laughs) oh dear i remember being a child and asking my parents so when we close our eyes and we pray is he supposed to like show up? <laughs> like I remember asking, I didn't say it like that, but I was like, <laughs> but am I supposed to like see something? Cause I'm not seeing this thing. Interesting. Yeah. I'm like, are we talking like white cloud, old white dude, big white beard? Like what, what am I supposed to see? And I, I struggled with faith when I was a young lad for that, when I was trying to be of the Interesting. faith. I never asked that question. I also didn't see things when I prayed except 
other things that I would be imagining at the time, just as if I were talking to somebody about them. Yeah, but I was trying. That's right. the thing. I was trying to see something and be like, okay, maybe if I just, just couldn't. emphasize the experience enough, it'll manifest for me. But it was just nothing. And that's that's one, you know. I've had a I've had a long road on that one. But yeah, it's it's a weird thing. So interesting. Yeah. So try out some of your other analogies on me in the next episode. When, now that we've burned an hour uh this has been part one of ten on consciousness <laughs> it could be we we could start a podcast on consciousness i think and it actually be a good stand-up standalone you know um because it's a great debate it's a great debate because there is no way to there is no way to convince people that don't think rationally that consciousness doesn't exist no, I'm, just, no I'm, kidding. I'm not trying to think darts <laughs> But it's and it's also weirdly meaningful and meaningless at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and I think that's where most of the time we end up too is like, or at least me, when I walk away from these conversations, I think about it for a while. But the way I usually resign the conversation and file it in my head away is, eh, I'm alive. I do things every day anyway. Eh, you know, like it. I am also not trying to look into a computer and see is the AI conscious or not. That doesn't matter to me right now i think the funny thing to me when i try to imagine whether the computer has feelings is not about whether like the ai is conscious that that is an interesting question that people are going to ask more and more yep um but i i i the, this okay i don't know if you have this experience or not um having empathy toward things that you don't think have feelings oh absolutely not okay I also don't have empathy towards certain things that I think have feelings either True, <laughs> or a lack of it, <laughs> I should say. So, I mean, it, 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 a thought has occurred to me multiple times. This is not something that has meaningfully changed my behavior other than making me talk about it to people for amusement. Um, but like when I type on the keyboard, am I hurting the computer? Like things no. like that. Like think I don't actually care. The computer is never going to complain to me for it. Um, it's not going to change anything about my life and I don't, I've never lost sleep over this possibility or anything like that. It doesn't interfere with me in, in any way, but it is a thought that occurred to me at least once. I wonder if you amped that up to an insane degree, if it would, if you would feel like a blip of something. So like, I, it's late enough in the episode. Um, I'm talking about something that might be sensitive to some people. So like people get empathetic around mass shootings, right? person goes into a school shoots up a bunch of kids it's pretty terrible right okay. and we feel bad about it okay i'm not trying to play it off but i'm trying to move on to my analogy would you ever feel any kind of inkling the same if someone walked in and shot up a data center <laughs> like, that was hosting like ai nodes like would you feel any oh okay uh, yes so yeah what would i feel okay yeah if someone destroyed a bunch of computers would i feel the same anguish that i feel when i hear about a, an actual mass murder obviously not the same degree but like, like say open no, AI data center, you no, know, I only think about it like, oh, someone's house burned down. That's terrible for them. Right. They're going to have to, that's going to cost a lot of money. Right. That kind of, that's the place where my, I'm not worried about how the computers feel. No. Uh, but do you think you should, do you ever wonder if you should care? No. Okay. I don't wonder that. Cool. Yeah. I Aside from amusing conversations like this. No. Yeah. It's and never I, a serious question that weighs on my mind. Yeah. And I think that's another interesting, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up at some point, but like, that's another interesting thing that I like to think about is I 
I'm very steadfast in my opinions about things and especially when it comes to empathy. Like I remember once having a conversation with a guy where I was like, you know, if we had the technology to be able to like recreate any species that existed, if push came to shove, I would be a hundred percent okay annihilating any unuseful species to humanity to allow us to reach the next level of technology and then bring them back later if we wanted to. And the person was like mortified that I said that. Like they thought I was talking about genocide and I thought they mistook me for talking about like people. And I was like, no, 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 people are different. But like those pesky, pesky mosquitoes. mosquitoes. Can we get rid of them? That was an easy one. But I was like, but even other things like rats, rats are annoying. They Mm -hmm. cause a ton of damage and problems. Let's just craft a bioweapon that targets rats and annihilate the rats. And you know what? If there are certain ecological zones where rats would be useful to have again at some point, then we can create one. We'll synthesize some new rats and then and release them where they need to be. There yeah. you go. And but they were still mortified at that thought. They're like, but what about all the animals? I'm like, what about them? Like, I'm also not one of those people that gets super upset about eating meat either, including factory farm meat. Like, don't get me wrong. I it would be totally in the abstract, totally cool with it. But in the practical if it was my job, I'd probably feel a little bit different about it in that way. But for some reason, when it gets to those scales, when it's like, but these things are a problem for us right now and we need to get to next big picture ticket item. Yeah. You know, let's just get rid of them. Like polar bears. I I hate the amount of energy we waste trying to preserve the polar bear population. That's annoying. They matter about zero to the rest of everything else in the grand scheme and on time scales where it's like, if we found out later that they did matter, we could reintroduce them and it'd be okay. If we had the ability to synthesize new polar bears, like from just their genetic material, um, it's like, why not just let them die out? And then if it becomes important enough to someone later on down the road, we can just make a new polar bear. Like, because to, to me, a human, it's not that polar bear. It's polar bears. Right. They're all the same. Yep. Who cares? You know? And, uh, and I'm pretty sure polar bears are conscious. (laughs) Probably. So I I think they probably don't appreciate you saying that if they knew what that meant or could appreciate anything. Those kids could read. They'd be really upset by that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, so that's one of those things where it's like, I don't think the empathy line is one that we should be going about we've been conscious a lot longer than we've been very unempathetic towards one another. <laughs> so I think they're different things. I think empathy is just like a separate capacity. Mm-hmm. So it is always interesting when it's brought up in the consciousness debate. Cause it is sometimes it's like, well, anything with the capacity for empathy is conscious. I'm like, well, that's true, I guess, but that doesn't mean you should be going around and saying to be more conscious, we should be more empathetic. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, no, but that's usually where the spiritual angle goes. Right. It's, well, I would even suggest that psychopaths who feel no empathy at all are still just as conscious. They just don't have that feeling. Right. But I think the the equivalating the two or correlating the two, a lot of people, like, I'm thinking of, like, Eastern philosophies, like, gurus who are like, we should care for the earth because it feels our pain. It feels pain, too. I'm like, well, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. I, hold on there, bud. Like, and that's the other thing about the whole conscious debate. And maybe we do it. Maybe we can do a sidebar where we 
come to something we can probably both agree on, which is that the universal monoconscious, that woo-woo-ish idea, I hope... That, that is a lot less plausible than panpsychism. Yeah, so maybe that's something we could talk about sometime and be more on the same side of the table about. Yes. Um, and might reveal some things about how we agree about it and how we disagree on consciousness, and that might lead us to another alternative as well. I'm using this as an opportunity to vamp and queue up other potential topics. And that's it. I think I'm done. Okay. Are you good? I'm good. Philosophers. Philosophers. If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.